Thank you, worship team. My name is Art Cash, discipleship pastor here, and it is my privilege to talk to you this morning about Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. So this book, this passage, this, this passage might appear to be a little bit lengthy at first, maybe some confusing imagery, but once we understand it, we're going to see the beauty and the power of the case that Solomon is making to close his book. The lights are about to go down. The curtain is about to drop. But before it does, Solomon makes this beautiful, emotional appeal to us one last time. Solomon's been trying to tell us something, if, if we'll hear it. Ecclesiastes has been about the hevel of life. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You may have never heard hevel before. So when we hear or read vanity of vanities, that word is really hevel. Okay, it's mostly about mystery, enigma. Wrapped in there is, is futility. Wrapped in there is fleetingness of, of life. But really what Solomon wants us to see is the mystery. The mystery of the way the world is versus how we want it to be. For me personally, the spirits use this book to untangle me somewhat, for my idol of control, for, for a guy who loves logic, who thinks black and white, cause and effect, I need to know what comes next. And Solomon says, no, you don't. No, you don't. So today we come to his final argument in chapters 11 and the first half of 12. Really, it's his argument for the entire book. Solomon has tried everything under the sun. So now he's fixated for us to see that living with the end in mind is the wisest course of action. Solomon's call for us this morning is this, the main point, because a time is coming when we won't be able, we need to be courageous and joyful while we can. So I need you to see a little bit of this passage before we read it. As we get into chapter 12, Solomon closes this book the way he started. If you think all the way back to chapter 1, he opened it with a poem about nature, the inevitability of nature. There's nothing unique, nothing new. The sun rises, the sun sets. Here we have a poem, and it becomes extremely powerful once we realize that this poem about a house that's falling into disrepair is about you and me. It's about our bodies aging and breaking down. So as we, as we read this, I want you to listen for the wisdom of Solomon. No matter your age right now, you're growing older. So while you can, have courage and joy. You'll follow along with me, please, in Ecclesiastes 11, starting in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. 
and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are hevel, vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it all. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. So 11 through 12 here, there is a chronological order to this passage. Have courage, rejoice, because you're going to get old. But since Solomon's motivation from this passage for courage and for joy comes out of our inevitable aging, I want us to start there. I want us to feel the poetry, the emotion of, of what Solomon is talking about. So you can, if you'll flip to the next slide, you can see the, the passage flow there. This is how we'll walk through it. 12, 1 through 8, and then we'll break up chapter 11. So chapter 12 starts with a command to remember your creator. And we'll get to the how, but the emphasis from the text is when. When are we to remember our creator? We have a clue from the text three times in this section. Solomon tells us when. Verse 1, before the evil days come. Verse 2, before the sun and lights go dark. Verse 6, before the cord is snapped, the bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered. The point is, remember your creator right now. And we've talked about this through Ecclesiastes. We've talked about memento mori, that that you're mortal, you're you're going to die. We've talked about carpe diem and uh, coram deo, seize the day before the face of God. We've talked about the bitterness of death, helping us enjoy the sweetness of life. So here, here's this new wrinkle right at the end of Ecclesiastes. The new wrinkle to the hevel of death is before we die, we have to grow old. Now, some of you are probably familiar with FaceApp, okay? I realize I've taken a picture of my face and all sorts of foreign countries now have my, my face. That's fine. Zuckerberg had it already. We're good. I'm fine with that. 
But if, you, if, you've, if you've played around with, with FaceApp, we, we can laugh. And, and now, I don't know if you know this, but on the filters, there's old and there's cool old. <clears throat> I, Doug's like, I'm cool old. Yes, sir. Um, I went with cool old because I figure if you've got your hat on backwards, you know, that, that's the way it should go. And we can laugh a little bit at, at FaceApp, okay, at, at this filter that helps us see what we're going to look like. But we laugh because I think it's because we don't have to feel it. We can see it, and I can still feel 46, and you know, eyes are starting to get a little weird, and the voice is starting to get a little weird, but I don't think I feel like I'm going to when I look like that. So I, I, there's some distance on it. But the decline of aging, it's coming. It's coming. That's what Solomon wants us to see. Any, any one of our brothers and sisters who, who serve at the assisted living ministry, they can tell you that, that if God allows it, we're going to reach a time where the lights go out. The zeal is gone. The desire to, to go on living disappears. Some of us will reach an age, some of you are already at that age where you've had to say goodbye to, to a spouse, to, to friends, maybe even to a, a child. The time that you're at the age where the, the time for dreams and goals, it's over. So here's the poetic imagery that Solomon gives us to describe this experience. In verse 3, the keepers of the house. Keepers of the house are strong and that's our arms and our hands, and they go from strength to be able to hold, to grip, to work, to trembling. Our legs, they're the strongmen of the house. They go from being supportive of us to bent. The grinders, you may be able to guess what that is. They're few, they stop working. Nobody tells you that once you get into 40s, there are these gigantic gaps that begin to happen between your teeth. There needs to be a list of the things that happen to you when you age, our grinders or our teeth. The windows are our eyes. They grow dim. The doors on the street are shut. Our ears stop working. They, they can no longer hear work being done, but since it's so hard to, to sleep when you age, ironically, they can hear the songbird sing, and it wakes you up way too early before you want to be awake. The daughters of song, your vocal cords and your voice begins to deteriorate in verse 4. Verse 5, afraid of what is high. So a fall, we know this, a fall for an older person. It can mean significant injury when a child falls. We're telling them to, to wipe it off, to get up and, and run on. An older person falls. It can mean great injury. Verse 5, still the almond blossoms, that's, that's our white hair, if, if we have any left. Grasshoppers, they usually flit away when approached. When, when a grasshopper's dragging itself along, the end is near. Our fears increase as our desires decrease until we die. And then the mourners are in the streets for a funeral. The imagery in, in 6 and 7, whether it's a a silver cord, a golden bowl, a broken wheel, shattered vase. It's, it's something valuable. 
is finally giving way, encasing our, our life, and then finally it breaks and shatters. Our bodies return to dust and our spirits return to God. Vanity of vanity, mystery of mysteries, hevel of hevel, all is hevel. You see, well, we have to, we've got to understand the poem first. We've got to feel the weight of the, the imagery. We're growing old. It's inevitable. Psalm says, listen, listen to the power and the poignancy of my poetry. Let, let this imagery penetrate. Our, our hearts are so distracted. They're so death-denying, so age-avoiding. He's saying, listen to me. Live in the moment, treasure this moment. So, so I think about it like this. Um, it is really hard for me to, to enjoy vacation. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, all right? So from, from the time we're, we're driving uh, to Monday, Tuesday, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still wound up and trying to wind myself down. So Wednesday is good. And then I'm winding back up Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And so there's just like this, if I could just hang on to, to Wednesday. So if we're, if we're applying that to, to life, the average lifespan being 78 years, well, Wednesday was at 39. <laughs> I, I'm 46 now, so it's, it's already Thursday at this point. And a preacher would say, Art, what? what? What a backwards mindset. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Regret looking back and, and looking forward right now. Suck the life out of right now while you're able. So 3,000 years before John Piper wrote, Don't Waste Your Life, Solomon was, was telling those who would listen the exact same thing. The fact that we, we know our lives are fleeting, it gives us wisdom right now if we'll embrace it. So will you begin to live, or for some of us, will you continue to live with the end in mind? One, one wise old preacher put it like this, every word we speak and action we take right now is determining whether old age will be sweet or bitter happy or wretched. So when, when we remember our creator before, while we can. But that when help, helps us with the how. How do we remember our creator? If we're living with the end in mind, it will lead to courage and joy right now. In my mind, that seems wise, and that's the purpose of wisdom literature. It's practical. It's wise it's a principle. It's true to the meaning of the passage. So I'm going to ask you to, to not do either or with me, but hold on to the and, okay? Our motivation is we are going to grow old. And for the Christian, we have an and. For the believer, we're not simply left in vanity of vanity. We're not left in hevel of hevel. We aren't left with just a solid principle, of wisdom. We are given the person of wisdom. The mystery of mysteries has been revealed in Jesus Christ. We have him. So, so when we remember our creator, we're remembering Jesus. 
He's the creator of both courage and joy. When you remember your creator, remember that Jesus Christ, he consistently lived with the end in mind, right? His entire life was shaped by the cross. It took courage and joy that the world has never seen and never will see to endure the cross, to take the punishment that you and I deserved. But he did it. He took our sins, not just our sins of cowardice and joylessness. He took all of our foolishness onto himself. It was for our sake so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus constantly remembered his father. And just a word of encouragement, he, he, while he was remembering his father, there's going to come a time where we can't remember. The, the memories are even gone. And at that point, the truth of the gospel is it won't be your remembrance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that holds you fast. It will be his remembering you that holds you. We don't just borrow from Jesus. We don't just look at him as, there's our example of courage and joy. We need to be like him. That's not it. By faith in Christ... The mystery of mysteries, Colossians 1.27, the mystery of mysteries is that Christ is in you. You're united to him by faith. By his spirit, you can have courage and joy and live with the end in mind because Jesus Christ did this for you, not only when you were unable, but when you were unwilling. And we've got to have that gospel indicative, the gospel truth Front and center. We need the wisdom principle and we need the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us because the commands are coming. <laughs> and we need to have the square of what Christ has done for us. So how? It means remembering Christ as our foundation and the wisdom that we're growing older. So we have the forever of Christ. We have our days are fleeting. It's anchored in our hearts. So let's look at 11. How do we... How do we move from, from caution to, to courage? Cast your bread upon the waters, 11.1, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of that in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. This is where my eyes are failing me. In the morning sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So we've got commands all over the place in, in this section. Cast, give, sow, don't withhold. So when I first read this, cast your bread, I'm like, so is that like taking the, you know, the leftover loaf of bread down to the green belt and throwing in and, and feeding the ducks? I don't even know if you can do that anymore. Okay, I don't know if they let you do that, but that's kind of what I had in mind, like throwing bread out in the water. 
But that's not what's going on here. I think Solomon is using an illustration from his own life. Now, if you want for some light reading after church, flip over to 1 Kings 9 and 10, and you can read all about uh, Solomon's ships, uh, his fleets. I think that what he's talking about here is grain and wheat and the supplies that he would send down uh, through the Red Sea to the east coast of Africa. Okay, And he would trade those. Uh, for all sorts of things, from gold to monkeys, all sorts of things came back to King Solomon uh, for his trade there, his commerce. That's what I think he's, he's talking about here. Cast your bread. Give a portion. He's basically saying use the resources that God has given you so you can bless others. That's where he's going. So in 3 and 4, we have this overly cautious farmer, Okay? He's watching the clouds. He's concerned it might rain. He frets over a fallen tree. He's he's observing the clouds instead of doing what he should be doing, sowing seed. So I want us to to see something critical in this section, though. It's two stories, two examples. But we're to cast, we're to work, we're to give, and we're to sow, even though there's a lot that we don't know. Look how many times that shows up in this section. Verse 1, we don't know what disaster might happen. We don't know when it might rain or a tree might fall. We don't know the work of God who makes everything in verse 5. And we don't know what will prosper and what won't. There's a lot that we don't know. So then, this is where courage comes in. It takes courage to act when you have no idea what's going to happen. But here's what we do know, straight from verse 4. We do know that if we do not sow, we will not reap. We do know that the only wrong choice is to do nothing. I'm not talking about being rash or foolish. Courage is not opposed to, to wisdom. Courage is taking action in light of wisdom. And wisdom for you and me as believers is complete and utter confidence in the character and work of Jesus Christ. So then this passage presents us with a choice. We can let the unknowns make us so cautious that we become paralyzed. We spend life procrastinating, waiting for the perfect circumstances, the perfect life, and we wait. Or... We take life as it is instead of how we want it to be. We can take action right now because there's freedom and trusting God with the results. We don't know, but he does. We can take action right now because in many situations, the right action to take is obvious. Now, anybody that that, that knows me and has seen this happen, it's it's happened at at, uh, staff meeting, it happens at home, I'm a notoriously slow processor when, when things are happening that require action, like, say, a spilled drink. When, when the drink spills, like, my mind slows down, like, to, to slow-mo bullet time, okay? And I can just see the bloop, bloop, bloop of the water. And in my mind, I think this is happening really fast. And, and I'm thinking, what should I do? What should I, where should I go? How much will that water come out? Where all will it spread? Will it hit the cord? Will it... So all this is, is flitting through my head, and, and I'm, I'm just processing it so slow while the people around me, of course, are 
doing what's obvious. They're, they're taking care of it and addressing it right away. So for us as, as Christians, it's, it's, sometimes it's obvious what needs to be done. We need to give somebody a ride. We need to serve someone. We need to pray for someone. We need to witness to someone. You may not hear this often from the pulpit, but those are a few things you don't even have to pray to feel led to do. You know it's right to serve, to love, to witness, to pray. We don't have to wait on a a prompting. It's obvious what we need to do. So that doesn't doesn't take much courage when we know what we should do. But what about when, when the action to take is not obvious? When the risk of pain and failure are high, that's where courage comes in. Courage is a virtue that grows best in the midst of pain and failure. When we keep faithfully acting out of what's true about God, instead of acting out of impulse or acting out of fear, our courage grows. Solomon is telling us to use the resources we have for the good of others. This takes courage. For example, young folks, already talking to you in this passage. The young person that's thinking about jobs, vocation, please stop waiting on the perfect career, the perfect job to fulfill you and pay you what you think you deserve. That mindset allows you to postpone generosity until you think you've arrived financially. Instead, have the courage to take the opportunities right in front of you. Do what you are gifted to do that will bless the most people. That's not settling for less. That's being faithful. Courage and vocation, it's not just for the young. Again, Solomon's talking about his ships. He's talking about giving. He's talking about his vocation. It's not just for the young. Your calling in retirement is critical. I didn't even talk to Mitchell about what he said this morning, but I was thinking about Cam last week. He stood up and said, we would like an older person or couple to join our youngish growth group. And I love that. He just said it. You know why? Because he's basically saying, listen, we're young. We don't know everything. And we'd like for you to come alongside of us and help us. That takes courage and humility. For as to be a young person to say, I don't know it all, come help me. So, if you have almond blossoms for hair, if your grinders are starting to, to wear down, the doors are, are starting to shut, but they're not shut yet, Slater Warder Growth Group is looking for you. And not just theirs, men's ministry, women's ministry, across the church. There's a reason, brothers and sisters, that we don't segment by, by age in this church. We, we don't have Sunday school classes for the, the empty nesters and the newlyweds. We need each other as the body of Christ. We laughed a little bit at it because it felt awkward, like... If you're the one with almond blossoms and you walk into the Slater Worder group, it's like, yep, I'm here. (laughs) But we know. We know that two is better than one. Okay? We know that wisdom is better than strength. Older person, you have the resource. 
They have the need. Will you give? Will you sow into young people's lives who need you? It takes courage. Dear brother, sister, where, where do you personally need to be encouraged? I, I look back through the, the texts that I send out or receive. It's like, encourage, encourage, encourage. Well, that word is, is related to courage. It, it literally means giving to, putting into another courage. Where do you need that? It's much of what we do in Christian community. Where do you need to be encouraged to cast, to give, to sow? Who's the person in the cubicle next to you who needs to hear about Jesus Christ? Who in here needs to stop withholding their time and gifts and serve with Carl, assisted living ministry? In light of this passage, you would be serving the ones who are as you will be. Some of you in here are called to foster children, to plant a church, to become a missionary, to branch a growth group, to mow a yard, to change a diaper, all for the glory of God, all of it. There's no divide for the Christian between secular and sacred. All of life for you is worship. You don't know what God will do with any of it. But you know for sure, if you do not sow, you will not reap. So what are you waiting for? Courage instead of caution can can lead to joy. The rush that any of you have experienced when you were faithful to the Spirit and you, you spoke about Christ to an unbeliever, even though you were nervous, even though you thought they might be skeptical, you did it anyway. That rush is not just adrenaline. That's the Holy Spirit. That's encouragement to you. The spirit-rooted joy that you have when you exhibit self-control, even when the other guy really did kind of deserve a piece of your mind, and you, 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 you listened to Patrick's wisdom last week on controlling the tongue, and you didn't speak out of anger. But the emphasis in this passage is joy in your heart. Okay, the second half here, 11, 7 through 10, rejoice instead of regret. Joy in your life while you're able to enjoy Let me read 7 through 10 for us. Light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Rejoicing is commanded in two ways here. Rejoice in the many years if you have them. Rejoice in your youth if you're young. So it includes all of us, no matter where you are, how old, how many years, how young. Rejoice for the days are going to be dark soon. Evil is coming. For a book that emphasizes the mystery, the, the darkness, the hevel of, of life, it may be surprising to see so much emphasis on joy. be tempting to just write this joy off as, you know, Psalm's kind of hedonistic. He sort of just did what he wanted to. He didn't hold his heart back from any pleasure. He just went the, the whole way. So, of course, he talks about joy and pleasure. It's not that simple. 
almost every time that Solomon talks about enjoying, joy, rejoicing, it's connected to God. It's on the, it's on the screen but behind me. All throughout this book, whether it's eating, drinking, toiling, gifts, a merry heart, family, life, enjoy it because God gave it to you. He's already approved what you do for the believer. And even, even when he's saying that it's not connected to God by name, he's implying that joy is the wisest course of action in your life. It shouldn't surprise us. The wisest man who's ever lived, he connects joy to God. The context through the, through the whole book helps us make sense of verse 9. Because when I see verse 9, I'm like, hold on a second. All right, uh, there towards the end of verse 9. Yeah, follow your heart, sure, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Ah, there, there's the catch. I knew all this joy talk was, was too good to be true. Okay, that young man in verse 9, he's following his heart. We know the heart's wicked, so he's going to be judged. Got it. Systematic theology intact. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. We should read this piece on judgment with, with the whole of Ecclesiastes in mind. This piece on joy. Judgment will not just be about overt sins and evil. Judgment will also be about the failure to enjoy what God has given us. Gibson puts it like this, pleasure is a divine decree. It's on the next slide if you want to put it up. Gibson says this, pleasure is a divine decree. We ignore it at our own peril. Enjoying the world God has made shows us, shows us that we have grasped the goodness of the God we say we love. Failure to enjoy is an offense, not merely an oversight. This, this shouldn't surprise us. The triune God is the inventor, the creator, the originator of all joy and all pleasure. So if sanctification is becoming more and more like him, then, then a failure to be joyful, of course, would be, would be evil because he is joy. He gives us joy. So it's not just lusting. It's not just murder. It's not just adultery. It's a failure to enjoy what he's given us because he is pleasure. His right hand are pleasures evermore. The, the more we become joyful, the more we become like the triune God. I know, I'm tempted right here, big command, be joyful. Take it, take it back to the gospel, please. He, he has been joy for you. He gives his joy to you. Think back to, to Mitchell's illustration. I love this. So we're just going to press in that a little bit more, Mitchell. Okay, it's, it's a Slater Werder sermon, okay? Um, what's, what's pleasing to the Father is, is for that child to tear into the wrapping paper and play with that toy with all his might, to use it like it was intended, to enjoy it fully. It would be displeasing to the father for that child to just sort of sit back, maybe analyze the gift a little bit, think about what could be in the box, what could be under the wrapping paper. Maybe that child's spending more time upset that his brother got the gift that he wanted. So he's still not opening his own gift, not using it. He's 
wanting what his brother has. Maybe this child's inclined to open the gift, avoid the toy, and just pull out the instruction manual and read it cover to cover. Maybe memorize that puppy because it's good to know how to do it. <laughs> maybe the kid just likes to get on YouTube and watch other people play with the toy. Again, that's, maybe that's for, for parents of, of teenagers. All analogies break down somewhere. The point is, will we enjoy the gifts God has given us or will we scorn them? Will will we enjoy what God has given us or covet the gifts that someone else has? We enjoy the life we have, the lot that God has given us, not the one we wish we had. We rob ourselves of joy. More importantly, we rob God of glory when we grumble about the gifts, the gifts that he has providentially given us. Not to mention, again, hold, hold Solomon's wisdom. We're aging. There's going to be a time where we look back. So right now, with the gifts that you have, are you sowing to regret or rejoicing? So I want us as believers to grow in joy. I want to grow in joy myself. I know sometimes I think of it joy too narrowly. I think of it like the, the fire extinguisher for life, that I only break joy out in case of an emergency. And here's what I mean, okay? So rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice and just repeat it. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I preset to myself when I'm disappointed, when I'm frustrated, when I'm hurt, when I'm angry, when I'm suffering. In, in everything, I've learned contentment or joy in Christ and plenty and hunger, abundance, and and need, I almost always break that out in need, in in hunger, not in abundance, not in plenty. Brothers and sisters, that's lopsided joy. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. It's incomplete. So where, how do we start cultivating joy in the gifts that God gives us? In the passage, the heart is mentioned three times. Solomon's serious about the heart. Let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart. Remove pain and vexation, meaning grief, from your heart. Our hearts, biblically, are who we are. So based in context here of all of Ecclesiastes, based on 10.2, you'll think back last week, Solomon's talking to the wise heart. He's advising the wise More importantly for the Christian, you've been given a new heart. That was a promise the Father made. It was a covenant promise sealed by Jesus Christ. You have a new heart. So we grossly overstate our case if we say the Christian heart is only deceitful and wicked. We greatly underestimate the work of the Spirit if we say we can never trust our heart. Listen, if you have new desires to serve, to love, to enjoy God, then you've been given a new heart. That's the work of the Spirit. That is the work that Christ died to secure for you. I would roll with that. So in that sense, in context, follow your new heart. How do we cultivate joy? 
C.S. Lewis, he talks about that, that all of us have this inner jailer. I loved that. I'm like, what is the name of that voice that tells me not to enjoy? The voice of skepticism that says, you know what, you're really kind of too old to jump in that mud puddle. <laughs> you got too much to do. You've silenced the jailer. Good job, Edna. You've got too much to do to stop and enjoy the pleasure of a friend's company. The inner jailer says, mountains, wildflowers, sunsets, you've seen it, you've done it, keep going. Maybe the inner jailer tries to be more spiritual than God. Should you really be enjoying the smell of that fresh brewed coffee, the steam coming up out of the cup while there are starving kids in Cambodia? That's the inner jailer. Now, the inner jailer deals in either or. Christians, we get to deal in and. Can I be concerned about those kids and enjoy my coffee? Yes, yes. The joys of the small things that are right in front of you. Right in front of you. By the Spirit, we need to silence the inner jailer. I'm not talking about your conscience. I'm talking about the inner critic who would convince you that joy is only for when you've earned it. That joy is something off in the distance that is only available after the next project, the next bonus, the next on and on and on. That joy is always around the corner. Someday you'll arrive at it, so keep going. Psalms say, stop, wait, enjoy right now. For you thinkers and analyzers, for me, it, I, I need categories. I need labels. It helps me understand. So C.S. Lewis, he helped me this week. He gave me two new categories for joy, the joy of need and appreciation. So the joy of need, think about when you're driving down the road. It's late at night. The road is desolate. And we're talking about aging. So you've got to go to the bathroom really badly. And you're, you're driving down the road. And it's... It's, it's been 30 minutes, and you, it's just time. You, and, then, and then you crest the hill, and the lights of the restroom or the Mickey D's or whatever, okay, and you see it. What do you feel? Joy. It's like, now, so there, there's a category of joy that I didn't even know I had, okay? The joy of a need fulfilled or a bladder emptied. I mean, it, again, that, that need and then the joy of that being met. Joy of appreciation. You don't need a redemptive storyline in, in a movie or a book. You don't need a soaring or inspiring piece of music. You don't need the feel of a puppy's fur against your skin, the laugh of a loved one, a, a newborn baby gripping your, your finger. You don't need those things, but when you have them, that, that feeling you're experiencing has the joy of appreciation. Joys of need and appreciation, they are gifts from God. And when you enjoy them, you're enjoying the one who gave them to you. It's just a tip of the iceberg on, on joy for us as believers. Ultimately, becoming more joyful, it's a work of the Spirit. Thank God, because if it was up to us, we'd mess it up. We'd turn it into a work. It's a work of the Spirit. So how pleasing would it be to the Father... If you'd unwrap this gift, pray, ask the Spirit to grow you in joy because of your union with His Son. So after one of the most vivid illustrations of union 
with Christ in all the Bible, John 15, vine and branches. Jesus says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So think of it, out of the myriad of reasons that union with Christ is critical, not the the least is, is joy. Our triune God is joyful. So brothers and sisters, we have the and, the wisdom and Christ. As we're closing, Solomon, has, he's made his case for both courage and joy. We remember our creator by having the courage to act on what we know to be true about him. We rejoice in the gifts that we've been given because we know it's a loving father who gave them to us. And where Solomon is urging and pushing us on because the days are growing dark and our lives are fleeting. Jesus Christ urges us on because on the darkest day, he laid down his life to secure courage and joy for all of us who would believe. So we get to hold on to both motivations this morning. It's the glory of Scripture. Both motivations, wisdom and Christ. So with Jonathan Edwards, we can say, resolve, live life with all your might as long as you live. Let's pray. Father, thank you that that Christ lived with all his might and lives still as our mediator, intercessor, substitute, and big brother. Father, thank you that you have adopted us into your family and that the life that you have given us right now is a gift that you want us to enjoy it and enjoy you. So free us in the the places where we're we're bound up and and, and thinking there, there is no joy to be had. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would grow joy in us. Father, for those of us that need courage, give it to us, please. Give us wisdom to come to you, to seek you out and and pray to you, to ask you for courage and joy. Father, give us the right perspective on our lives. Help us to, to live and love you because your son lived and loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.